Hi, everyone. Welcome to Looped In, the Houston Chronicle podcast all about real estate. The dirt, the deals, the people, the places, it's all here. I'm Nancy Sarnoff, real estate reporter with the Houston Chronicle. And today on the show, we're talking beer. Paul, did you like that? That was nice. <laughs> well, for the record, it's um, it's just a fizzy water. It didn't it didn't give quite that sound as I as I had hoped. <laughs> anyway, so back to the show. <laughs> so new legislation just went into effect. It happened at the end of August, and it allows breweries to sell beer to go, which had been illegal in Texas. And as the new law was being proposed. Houston's craft brewery scene continued to grow. It was once a really small industry consisting of basically just St. Arnold's, and it has just boomed over the past decade. Today, we're going to talk about some of that expansion and what this new law means for the future. I am here with The Chronicle's Paul Takahashi, who has written about the beer business. And on the phone, we have Ronnie Crocker, my former editor at The Chronicle, now the editor of the Beaumont Enterprise, and author of the book, Houston Beer, A Heady History of Brewing in the Bayou City. Ronnie, Paul, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Same here. Ronnie, you were at the Chronicle for a long time, and you wrote quite extensively on beer and the expansion of craft breweries here. I've got to first ask, what's the brewery scene like in Beaumont? Unfortunately, the brewery scene in Beaumont is non-existent right now. We do have two brew pubs that are in the process of opening up. But as of right now, the only craft brewery in this part of Southeast Texas is Natchez Brewing Company in Port Natchez. Oh, have you been there? I have been there. It's quite nice. And so what's the difference between a brew pub and a brewery and a tap room? There are all these different names for different things, and I I just, I don't know what they all mean. Right. So the difference is a lot less obvious to the consumer than it used to be. Certainly in the 1980s and early 1990s, a brew pub meant a restaurant that uh, served, that made beer on site and served that with your meal. Today, uh, you have all sorts of licensed brew pubs that look very much like a traditional production brewery. Uh, but because of their licensing, they can sell beer in different ways. Uh, this latest legislation, for example, uh, allowed production breweries to sell some of their beer on site uh, directly to the consumers in a packaged form. That means uh, canned or bottled beer that they could take home with them. Uh, previously, that was allowed only for a brewery with a brew pub license. Okay. And so with this new law in place... Like you said, people can go to a brewery, hang out for a bit, and then take some beer to go. Why is this a big deal? Because it seemed like it was a big deal to brewers and just the industry overall. Exactly. So the significance has changed over the years, but this has been a long-time goal of the craft brewers. In 2007 and 2009 and 2011, there were repeated efforts in the legislature to get some sort of beer to go or on-premise sales approved. Uh, they went because of the three-tier system uh, that separates the wholesale, the retail, and the production uh, bands of uh, the brewing uh, system. Uh, 
it was, it, you know, a, a producer was not allowed legally to sell directly to a, a consumer. I had to go through a wholesaler and then go through a retailer. Uh, the, the craft breweries uh, said, listen, you can go into a winery, you can sample the wine. If you like something, you can take it home. This builds brand awareness. Uh, and it improves the customer's experience when they come in for a tour. Breweries felt they were at a disadvantage because they could not do that. At this time, craft breweries really had to sell themselves. You didn't have the awareness in the broader community, and you didn't have um, the number of uh, craft breweries out there. So it was really hard for these guys to promote themselves. And originally, uh, these sales were designed, uh, you know, not just to provide some needed capital early on in their uh, lifespan, but also to uh, build brand awareness. Um, and there were some suggestions and some efforts in the legislature to uh, you know, come up with these crazy rules where you could you know, pay for a brewery tour, uh, and depending on how much you paid for that tour, you could take home a certain amount of beer. That was a, an attempted uh, compromise to uh, meet the requirements of the three-tier system. Uh, that was eventually scrapped, and they just went with something more straightforward. At first, they gave breweries the permission to sell their beer on-site for consumption on-site. That passed in 2013. That made a huge difference, uh, and you immediately started seeing more breweries come online and more of them being able to utilize the um, tap room that you mentioned earlier, uh, where they have a tap room and that people can come in and, and have the beer right there. Uh, beer to go was really kind of the final objective for uh, the brewers and the wholesalers and some retailers, but primarily the wholesalers, fought this uh, tooth and nail. They defeated it in two uh, consecutive sessions of the legislature, and then they finally came to this compromise uh, in 2019. And, and as of last Sunday, September 1st, we now have uh, beer-to-go sales at all Texas breweries. I didn't realize the intricacies there. Have you been out to buy any beer from any of these places just to sort of celebrate the change? Yes, absolutely. So on Sunday, we uh, went to Holler Brewing. Uh, that's our neighborhood brewery. It's a brewery, and it's a good example of the kinds of breweries that have opened up since 2013. So Holler Brewing couldn't get a brew pub license because of their proximity to a uh, church or a school, one or the other. And so they had to be licensed as a uh, production brewery. Uh, but so they could sell beer on premise uh, in addition to the limited amount of beer they sold to be, you know, sold at bars kind of in the Heights neighborhood. Uh, but because of this law, they could now sell packaged beers. So they had an event called Ex Excanza Ganza, I believe is how you pronounce it. But uh, so, yes, yeah, so we went there uh, and purchased four 16-ounce cans of beer. Uh, I got the uh, Czech Pilsner and the traditional uh, dollar pills. And then for Patricia, we got her an IPA. Paul, I want to bring you into this because as real estate and retail reporters – we regularly get reports by all the big commercial real estate firms on the office market, shopping centers, apartments, and they're filled with information on rental rates and occupancy and construction stats. 
A few years ago, one of those firms released a report on the expansion of breweries, looking at the topic from a commercial real estate standpoint. And this year, we got two such reports, one from NAI Partners and the other from JLL, both big commercial real estate firms. You wrote a story about one of those reports. What what did it what did it say? Sure. So like Ronnie was saying, the 2013 law really helped fuel the rise of craft breweries across, um, you know, across the state, but also in, in Houston. And in 2013, there were just 18 breweries in the Houston area. And since then, uh, as of last year, uh, that number has grown to 64. And so a fivefold increase in just the number of breweries. And wow. in terms of square footage, that number has really increased by 153%. And to, um, from 225,000 square feet of sort of manufacturing and warehouse space, all the way up to close to, you know, 570,000 square feet. And so that's a pretty big increase in just the number, the square footage of industrial space that's being allocated towards craft breweries and really shows kind of the the rise of these craft breweries. Um, and so that's that's been kind of the, the, the big uh, sort of real estate story when it comes to craft breweries. And um, just over the past year, I think about 12 open uh, uh, just in the Houston area. And that includes True Anomaly in downtown, uh, Astral Brewing in the Heights, uh, all the way up to Kingwood, Megaton Brewing, and uh, Southern Yankee Beer Company near Spring, and uh, even out in Cypress um, Craft Beer Cellar store, um, there's a, a nano brewery in the back of that store. And so, uh, yeah, it's it's just all across the Houston area, craft breweries are are opening, and um, that all these laws that allow for beer to go and other things mm-hmm. have allowed for the real estate to really grow in this area. So do you know what the requirement is for a brewery, for a brew operation? And, you know, where do these people find the real estate to house their facility? I think, uh, you know, we see a lot of adaptive reuse mm-hmm. in across Houston, a lot of older warehouse space being converted to different uses, whether, whether it's mixed use or office space, and, and craft breweries are a part of it, I think. Um, and uh, uh, maybe Ronnie has some examples uh, that he can share, but... Uh, I, I would say that's been a lot of it. Of course, yeah. there's also new construction too. You look at Carbach and uh, St. Arnold, of course, uh, they, they opened a, a new um, uh, kind beer of a garden. beer garden right yeah. right next door to yeah. their manufacturing plant. And so you see a lot of new construction too. But I think when you're starting out, um, uh, always sort of finding a warehouse, use warehouse space that could be converted into a craft brewery is, mm-hmm. is always an appealing option to a lot of folks instead of building from the ground up. Before I let you go, because you've got to jump off for another appointment, but before I let you go, you recently wrote about the closing of a brewery. Is that right? Uh, this is a closing of a homebrew shop. And so, um, yeah, it, it's it's sort of an interesting duality here mm-hmm. with the rise of craft beer. Um, you know, it sort of lessened the demand for homebrew supplies. It used to be that if you wanted a good beer, uh, you sort of had to brew it at home. And so uh, people would go to homebrew shops. Um, DeFalco is the homebrew shop I wrote about, which okay. uh, is closing this month. And, uh, you know, people go to places like DeFalco, buy fermenters and uh, all the equipment, the, the barley and all the different grains, the hops and the yeast, and they'll, you know, 
concoct their beer at home to mm-hmm. drink. And with the rise of craft breweries, you know, craft brewer, you know, craft beer is now sold in HEB and grocery stores and retailers. They're, you can buy them to go now from craft breweries now around the corner. Um, it's sort of become, uh, you know, not necessary to go and brew and spend the eight, nine hours to to, to brew your own beer. And so um, homebrew shops nationally are closing and uh, their numbers since about 2015, um, the peak was 815 homebrew shops nationally. Their numbers have now shrunk to uh, just a little above 650. So, um, you know, over 200, about 200 some shops have closed. And uh, in the Houston area, seven of these homebrew shops have closed. And these aren't large retail centers. Uh, DeFalco's was the largest in the Houston Mm -hmm. area with about 7,000 square feet of space. So we're not talking large, you know, even junior anchor size retail retailers that are closing. But, you know, this is a sign that uh, craft breweries strength in the market. Yeah. And it's also sort of a sad sign uh, of this hobby that a lot of people had and um, lots of different reasons uh, for it. You know, we have a robust economy. People may not have the time. They're working. They may not have, not, not have the time to brew beer after work. Um, but uh, I think a lot of it has to do with the rise of craft breweries. Yeah. Well, that's kind of sad. And you can probably get all that stuff online, too. Exactly. Yeah. I think I got a pickling kit once (laughs) online (laughs) to, you know, make my own pickles, which I never did. It's still sitting there in the pantry. You should go break it out. All right. All right. Well, hey, thank you so much. I know you've got to run, but um, I appreciate you being here. Sure. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Do you want this sparkling soda? It's kind of gross. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So... Ronnie, what do you think of the closing of all these homebrew shops? Well, I think it was probably inevitable. I mean, I think the uh, homebrew shops were really vitally important. Uh, Paul mentioned DeFalco's. Scott Birdwell was, you know, selling homebrew supplies before Jimmy Carter had uh, formally signed the legislation legalizing homebrewing in America. Um, you know, a lot of the craft brewers today started out as home brewers. Brock Wagner famously, you know, brewing while a student at Rice University. Uh, the Hollers, I mentioned, home brewing while they were stationed overseas. Um, you know, I mean, home brewers in the early days of craft brewing were really intertwined. The Home Brew Association is part of the uh, Brewers Association, the Craft, craft Beer Network. Um, you know, and they're, I guess you could say, victims of their own success. I mean, Paul, uh, I think, laid it out exactly right. Craft beer is so readily available that you don't have to, uh, you know, go out and, and brew your own. I think you probably miss a lot of the camaraderie of the brew, uh, the homebrew clubs. Uh, you know, the Falcos for years hosted the Foam Rangers there in Houston. Uh, and it, it, it meant a lot to a lot of people, and it led to a lot of uh, craft breweries here in Houston and elsewhere. So they'll be missed. Um, you know, uh, I think Scott Birdwell did did great work and a great service for the beer community in Houston for a lot of years, and that's uh, appreciated. Did you ever try your hand at beer making? So, you know, there's a reason. I'm a journalist who can <laughs> deal uh, with the uh, uh, information and concepts and not uh, the execution of 
<laughs> chemical processes. Uh, it's no surprise a lot of the great homebrewers are, you know, engineers uh, and chemical engineers. Uh, plus, I never really had the, uh, let's say, uh, you know, capacity at home to, you know, handle all the equipment. So while I have been at homebrew events, while I very much uh, like homebrewers and enjoy hanging out with them, I have not homebrewed myself. <laughs> well, maybe one of these days you can give it a shot, right? Seems like something you should do. You're probably right, Nancy. I do get that question a lot. I had gotten an email recently from the managing partner of an architecture firm who has designed more than 30 breweries and distilleries in the area. It's called Method Architecture. And it was just interesting. He was talking about some of the impacts of the legislative change and how it's impacted the industry. And now there are a bunch of breweries that are racing out, he said, to put in retail sections in their in their facilities. I'm sure we'll see a lot more of that. And and do you think we'll see more breweries in general because of this law? You know, I don't see any sign that the uh, expansion in, in craft breweries is, is, is going away. I don't think you're going to see the big regional craft breweries uh, at this point. I think that part of the market is probably saturated. So what you'll see is a lot of the smaller uh, neighborhood specific breweries. Uh, that's what's happened in other cities. You know, you hear about some of these cities with, you know, dozens and dozens of breweries. We, I think we used to think it was dozens and dozens of, you know, St. Arnold's, and they're not. They're more kind of neighborhood places, and that's what we're seeing in Houston. Uh, but some of those are really interesting. Um, you know, the new Buffalo Bayou that's going up in Sawyer Yards is a gorgeous facility with great downtown views. You know, that's a that's a big investment. Uh, most of them are, you know, kind of, you know, reused projects that uh, Paul mentioned. Um, and so, but it's nice to have a, a variety of experiences you can go to. Yeah. Before I let you go, Ronnie, I don't know if you remember, but last time you were on Looped In talking about beer and we talked about neighborhood breweries then, I had a little quiz for you. and. You did. You passed with flying colors. I think. I think you got like a ninety, ninety-five percent. Um. So I have another quiz. You bring it on. All right, let's do this. I'll start with an easy one. What is the oldest craft brewery in Houston? That would be Saint Arnold Brewing Company. They were founded in nineteen ninety-four, shortly before I moved to Houston. Wow. Yeah, that was my follow-up question, and I didn't even have to ask it. What year? 1994. Okay. What city in Texas has the most brew pubs? Okay. I'm going to guess Austin um, because they have nah. a, a pretty strong brewery scene. But is it nah. Houston? <laughs> nope. Is it Dallas? It's Dallas. <laughs> Third okay. time's a charm. Okay. Yes, it's Dallas. Just, Just barely. All right. How many... Craft breweries are there in Houston? Let's see. I have lost track, but I believe that um, Paul mentioned earlier that there were 64 in the Houston oh, region. Sorry. <laughs> what is the difference between a crowler and a growler? Okay. A growler is uh, your, your dog, a, for one. 
Well, yes, there's there's <laughs> old Growler. He's doing great. <laughs> Good. Uh, so, yeah. So, um, but a Growler is a traditional jug. It's usually glass, but it can also be aluminum that has a cap that you put on uh, yourself. A Crowler is a, you know, sealed 32-ounce uh, can uh, that is filled with beer on site and uh, sold across the bar. Oh, interesting. And they were... And they were illegal in Texas not that long ago. So um, it's uh, it, we've really come a, a long, long way in the last 10 years. Yeah. All right. My last question for you, Ronnie Crocker, is what, it, what brewery in Houston, what craft brewery in Houston is 100% women-owned? You know, I've talked to those guys. I am drawing a blank on the name of that brewery. 4K, those, maybe? Those gals, you mean? <laughs> Let's get those guys. Is, is it 4J? I, I, you know, I have wanted to get out and meet them. Uh, you know, we corresponded when they were getting ready to open, and I just haven't haven't made it out yet. One consequence of working 90 miles from Houston. 4J Brewing Company, you're right. And it actually gets 4.8 stars on Google, so. Yeah, I've heard good things about it myself. Yeah. That's a cool, that's, that's going to be a cool story. All right, Ronnie. Well, thank you so much for being here and talking about beer. I hope to meet you out at, at one of these brew pubs or tap rooms or breweries or production facilities or retail spaces <laughs> someday soon. I would love that, Nancy. I look forward to it as well. You okay. guys take care. All right. You too. Um, all right. Well, that wraps it up for today. Thanks everyone for listening. Please subscribe to Looped In on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you have an idea for a show or just want to say hi, you can reach out. I am on Twitter and Facebook. I am at N Sarnoff. Thanks for listening. See you next time.